Hello, in this week's UN Catch-Up, we hear about the pressures facing aid workers on the front line in Gaza, an appeal for help for almost 900,000 Rohingya refugees, an alert that Mozambicans fleeing violence to Tanzania have been forcibly returned, and guidance from the World Health Organization on genetically modified mosquitoes to overcome deadly malaria. That's all coming up. And as ever, there'll be poetic insight from regular guest Solange Berhotegui-Cortes, who's here with me, Daniel Johnson, from UN Geneva. And we're recording this at 1800 hours Central European time on Wednesday the 12th of May. On with the show. Let's start with the news. Rohingya refugees who fled persecution in Myanmar four years ago are more vulnerable than at any point since 2017, the UN has warned in an appeal for international support to help them. Launching the call for $940 million for nearly 900,000 refugees in Bangladesh's Cox's Bazaar camp complex, UN Refugee Agency Chief Filippo Grandi also urged India and Thailand to keep their borders open to those fleeing from violence linked to the Myanmar coup. Tuesday's appeal covers requests from more than 134 partners who include UN agencies, international NGOs and a majority of Bangladeshi NGOs. If funded, it will also benefit almost half a million Bangladeshi nationals living in communities that are hosting the refugees. The World Food Programme, which is also present in Cox's Bazaar, warned that the COVID-19 crisis has reduced opportunities for refugees. The camp complex is also disaster-prone and faces a monsoon and two cyclone seasons every year, which is why the UN agency continues to support disaster risk reduction activities. These include rebuilding cyclone shelters, improving drainage systems, stabilising slide-prone slopes and helping communities diversify their livelihood activities so that they do not need to rely on agriculture for income. An alert now for thousands fleeing violent extremists in northern Mozambique and a call from the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, for neighbouring Tanzania to keep its borders open to those in need of protection. The development comes as the UN agency cited reports that people displaced from Mozambique's Cabo Delgado province have been forcibly returned from Tanzania. Similar indications that people were being pushed back to Mozambique emerged last September and in April. UNHCR spokesperson Boris Chezikov said that several thousand Mozambicans had been pushed back from Tanzania into northern Mozambique since last year, including more than 1,500 this month. During an interagency mission in April 2021 to the Negomano border point in Mozambique, UNHCR and partners learned that most of the Mozambicans sheltering there had hoped to find refuge in Tanzania after fleeing deadly attacks by non-state armed groups in Palma in March. People told UNHCR they trekked for days to the Ravuna River, crossing it by boat to reach Tanzania, from where they were returned by the authorities. Many were women and young children. The situation is desperate for single mothers who the agency said are staying in Negomano without family support. Conditions are dire and the needs are acute for food, water, sanitation and health services. But only limited humanitarian assistance is reaching the remote area. Finally, to efforts to tackle malaria and new guidance from the UN Health Agency aimed at health authorities who are looking to employ the services of genetically modified mosquitoes to protect people from the disease. If the technology to adapt the winged insects into malaria-free bugs is proven safe, effective and affordable, it could be a valuable new tool to fight malaria, which still kills 400,000 people a year, the World Health Organization, or WHO, said on Wednesday. The technique could also eliminate the risk to millions of other vector-borne diseases, including dengue and Zika. And to respond to this, WHO has issued guidance to ensure that testing is evaluated responsibly. 
Although the last two decades have seen more than 7 million deaths and 1.5 billion cases of the disease averted, WHO highlighted the need for new malaria-controlled tools amid the increasing threat of insecticide resistance. The news there, and this is UN Catch-Up, Dateline Geneva, with me, Daniel Johnson. Now to our interview, which is with the UN World Food Programme, on its work to help people in Gaza, where there are growing concerns over food insecurity and rising prices as the escalation of violence in the occupied Palestinian territory and Israel continues. To tell us how the UN is helping when access is extremely difficult and when aid teams themselves are in danger, I spoke to the agency's country director in Palestine, Sameh Abdel-Jaber. We're estimating that so far the number of people that are in need are around 160,000 people. We have to be cautious with this figure because this is on top of the existing people that we are supporting as WFP. Gaza, people in Gaza have already been going through a food security crisis. We estimate that two out of three people are in need for food assistance. So with the current escalations, it's just adding to the needs and the situation on the ground. The World Health Organization said earlier today that it reckons Gaza medical facilities have about one month's medical supplies. How much food is there? How many weeks of food are there in Gaza at the moment? Yeah, according to the local authorities, there are wheat flour, for example, and commodities for up to two months. However, we need to differentiate that the access to the market is a bit of a challenge. We started seeing that vegetables and basically fresh produce are not reaching the markets and inflating the prices at the shops because the farmers are not able to get to their lands. So how do you help people? So WFP, we were able to launch what we call our electronic voucher platform. We know that there are around, at the moment, 40-something thousand people located in 50 UN shelters, but also many have been displaced to where their families and relatives are. We've been able to reach most of the people that around 51,000 figures that we put on the press release, where with electronic vouchers, they would go to the nearest shop to where they are, and they would be able to redeem the value for food, basically. And how much does the World Food Programme need? How much are you appealing for, for the next three, six months? So we are in need to respond to the increasing needs due to the current emergency. WFP needs around 14 million US dollars for the emergency assistance over the, like I said, three months. However, this figure is on top of an additional 31 million that WFP needs to be able to continue providing regular assistance to more than 435,000 people vulnerable in Gaza, West Bank for the next six months. Now, assuming you get this support, how is your access to Gaza? So we have a team, a big portion of my staff is actually based in Gaza. They are living what everyone is living, the situation that people are living. Some of them have been displaced, but at the same time, they're here to support the beneficiaries and the people we serve. We have been coordinating with other agencies and partners today, the access to Kerem Shalom crossing. Unfortunately, last minute, it was cancelled, so we could not get in the commodities that we were planning to get in. With the ongoing violence and attacks, aerial attacks and rocket fire from Gaza into Israel, you must be very fearful for yourself and your teams, your international and local staff. Maybe you could describe how big your teams are and and whether everybody is safe. All my staff are safe at the moment. We have around 22 WFP staffers there in, in Gaza. They're all safe. Some have been displaced, but staying with their families and relatives. And in Jerusalem, where you are? We're safe. 
Great. And uh, over to the West Bank, the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs was saying that there's ongoing demonstrations there and violence. Are you also involved in the West Bank? So part of my operation is actually in the West Bank. We have not yet seen any disruption in terms of our operations. During Ramadan, we supported extra 60,000 people. So the total in West Bank, we supported around 150,000 people. Uh, they received their assistance earlier in May. And basically, we were planning for the June distribution cycle and monitoring the, the situation closely, of course. Before you called for emergency aid, what was the World Food Programme doing in terms of development in the occupied Palestinian territory? WFP has been operating an excess approach in in West Bank and Gaza. We have been providing food security, food assistance to people that are food insecure, and that's part of my humanitarian work. But we've been working with the local authorities to make sure that let's say rehabilitation of the social safety net platforms are there, make sure that there is policies for the inclusion of disabled and elderly in the social protection system. We have been also supporting household level agriculture projects like aquaponics and hydroponics, where instead of giving a people a food basket or an electronic voucher, we're giving them assets that they can grow their own food produce. Can you maybe just finally describe to me what it is like, what you're hearing from your team in Gaza at the moment? I mean, are they actually able to do their work? Are they, it must be very, very difficult when there's such insecurity. It is very difficult. I have to say it's a very resilient team. We are supporting them with every means we can. Many of the things that they need to be done so that the operation moves on, we're supporting them with the teams outside Gaza to make sure that at least they focus on what they have to do on the ground. Thanks to the UN World Food Programme's Samer Abdel Jaber in Jerusalem for sharing his precious time on the challenges facing his teams in Gaza and the West Bank and the people they serve in the occupied Palestinian territory amid ongoing violence that UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called a senseless cycle of bloodshed, terror and destruction. He's also called for Israel and Palestinians to return to negotiations for a two-state solution of the conflict as agreed by the Oslo Peace Accords from the 1990s. And this overnight too from Henrietta Four, UNICEF Executive Director. Gaza's one million children are reeling from the mounting consequences of violent conflict with nowhere safe to turn, she says. Lives have been lost and families shattered and at least 60 children in Gaza have been killed. Another 444 injured in less than 10 days of this conflict. Now to wrap up the show, let's bring in Solange Pejotege Cortez from the Information Service at UN Geneva. Hi Solange. Hola Daniel. We thought the world has stopped with the pandemic, but it hasn't. Since 1948, the Palestinians have lost their homeland, their lands, their water, their freedom. At this moment, food is one of the most pressing needs, as we heard from Samer Abdel-Jaber, World Food Program representative in Palestine. And as Jens Lerke from the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs said on Tuesday, almost 800,000 people don't have regular access to safe water in Gaza. Is this the life we really want? What's left of Palestine? What's left of the Oslo Accords for a two-state solution and peace? One of the lessons learned from the current COVID crisis is that it is necessary to return to the elementary. And the elementary is food, health, 
and dialogue. Openness to other cultures is essential and dialogue is the only valid response to the illusion that we can protect our culture only by locking it up. This is what the Palestinian intellectual Elias Sambar said. He's the winner with the Biblioteca Islamica of the 2015 UNESCO Saraja Prize for Arab Culture. Elias Sambar was born in Haifa in 1947. So he lived there only a few months before his family was displaced to Lebanon during the Arab-Israeli conflict in 1948. Elias Sambar translated into French the work of the great Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish, who died in 2008. I was at home when you told me that your interview was about Gaza. I instinctively took one of my favorite books from Edward Said, L'Orientalisme, Orientalism. Then I found a video on the multimedia archives of UNESCO, where he tells the story of April 1948, where hundreds were killed and many thousands become refugees. We might call them the others the nobodies. Among these exiles was a young boy named Mahmoud Darwish, who later became someone, a great poet. Darwish wrote later, who am I without exile and a long night that stares at the water? Let me finish by saying that I found a phrase in the UNESCO magazine Courier that frequently features poetry. Wouldn't it be wonderful if poetry were louder than a bomb? An idea is surely louder than a bomb. Thank you, Solange, for these thoughts. And a big hand too to Justine Bryce, who's in the virtual production booth today, as ever, putting this pod together and promoting it on social media at UN Geneva. <laughs> It's a bit earlier this week than usual listeners, but we wanted to keep the Gaza interview as current as possible given how quickly this situation is changing. So my apologies for not getting to the Red Cross Museum exhibition interview. We will get to it ASAP, promise. Bye-bye for now. (laughs) 